What is up, K Corner Podcast, and how are we doing today? Welcome back to another episode. Happy Monday here, folks. And I just want to first off thank you guys for the support I've seen on the last three videos last week. They're all in the 20s already, which is decently good for you know how much how small my channel is and everything like that. So I just want to thank you guys as always for continuing to listen. Um, usually I kind of play it off like, oh, we're going to talk about three other things, but nope, today we're getting right into it. I'm going to talk about, uh, I guess. I guess the elephant in the room, and the elephant being that Michigan State got daddy slapped in the mouth last Saturday against Ohio State. The game wasn't close. I don't. I don't think there was a moment that I thought that there was going to be a competition compared to like what I originally was. State didn't ever come close to having a chance to win. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, the other team scores seven. Um, they have a really tough drive, which is what it was. Um, Michigan State kicked off to OSU. I don't know why you'd want to put OSU out there uh, offensively first. I feel like you'd want to have the ball first, uh, run the ball, play from a lead standpoint. But uh, State decided to kick it off to them after they won the toss. Ohio State goes down, 12 plays, check down. They, it was just a terrific drive, eventually capped off by Olave, Olave touchdown. Then you go in, State I think runs four plays. Um, five, yeah, they run five plays, get one first down, punt it. Uh, OSU scores down 14-0. Michigan State puts together a 13-play, 55-yard drive, goes for a field goal. Guys coming off an injury, he misses. It's 14-0. They score in four plays. It's 21-0. Like it was over. Like as soon as as soon as they went and kicked that field goal, I, I think the game was over. I know you're trying to kick a field goal to to make it feel not like an insurmountable task, but their defense was in no way stopping that offense, um, which is looking really scary now. And that defense, I we also need to shout out uh, the OSU defense. They had a lot of slander put on their name this year um, just because of how high the expectations are for Ohio State we, year in and year out. I mean, their expectations are if we don't go undefeated, win a national championship, we're pissed off. Like, I was looking... Um, I, I follow some Ohio State Twitter people, and I, I was looking through a lot of that stuff, and people were literally mad, like, oh, you may say Ryan Day is, is good, but he doesn't have an undefeated season or a national championship yet, you know, by himself with his own players, so how about we hold out on those facts, and it's like, holy shit, like, that's your expectations, and so that kind of establishes everything there, and this OSU defense played pretty well against MSU. Now, one of the things is, is that when you're down 21-0 after three possessions, and you've had the ball twice, um, and you miss the field goal on one of those drives, it makes it very difficult to run your offense. Um, 21-0 is a huge hole. Uh, Michigan State isn't really an offense that's looking to score like that. I kind of talked about how, hey, if Michigan State held the ball with Kenneth Walker, um, they would have been able to stop them. And I, uh, one of my one of my buddies, shout out David, was like, hey, you talked about the running game, the running game, the running game, but you didn't mention Kenneth Walker. And it ends up that I was more right not mentioning him than uh, talking about the running game in general because Kenneth Walker didn't really get used. I know he's coming off a hamstring injury, but he was in there on the first series and he looked good. Like he was cutting, he was making guys miss. He was their offense um, on, on the drives and they just really relied on attacking the corners um, attacking Ohio State's uh, corners that are suspect. I think a little bit you can kind of look at how o OSU plays uh, 
their corners are young. They put them on islands a lot. They like disguising things, making new blitzes and stuff. But uh, it was a little bit more soft zone, let guys read and react, not have to play the ball so much. And I think State just well, – they were outcoached immediately from the get-go. I think OSU had a tremendous offensive and defensive game plan to slow down Michigan – State and Michigan State had no answer on any level. They didn't have a special teams answer. They didn't have an offensive answer on the kicking. They didn't have an answer anywhere. Um, and and it was really evident on, you know, settling for a field goal down 14-0 when they went it down. They went down and you know slammed down your throats. Um, it, it just wasn't a good look. Now I, I I talked a lot of bad about Michigan State there. The things they didn't do well, but I think. At the end of the day, we have to reward this OSU team. We knew every every year, you know, you look at the Big Ten, you look at rankings, you look at recruiting, and Ohio State's, you know, one, two, or three in recruiting. They have the best receivers in the country year in and year out. They have, you know, guys getting drafted every year from the NFL quarterbacking room. They got DBs going. They got defensive tackles, defensive linemen, ends. All those guys are going. I mean, the only thing they haven't really produced lately, and lately being like the last three or four years, are elite linebackers. But they have Chase Youngs and the Boses, and I guess they're stand-up linebackers. But I'm saying like a middle or... You know, they don't really have elite, those guys, but every other position has been elite from them from a recruiting standpoint, from a, a developing standpoint. Their offensive line's always good. Their running backs are good. Their wide receivers are good. Also tight end. So I guess you can look at linebackers and tight ends, but I mean, those are literally like fading away and changing as we speak. Uh, and Jeremy Ruckert's probably going to be a third rounder, even though he isn't used really effectively in this offense, just because there's so many other guys to throw to. But CJ Stroud was dynamic. State really couldn't get pressure on him when they did. Um, there's a receiver running free, um, and in this receiving, you know, these receivers are dynamic. I mean, Chris Olave is going to be a first rounder. Garrett Wilson's going to be a first rounder this year. So two first round receivers, and then Jackson Smith and Jugba is going to be a first rounder. He's the first dude to get over a thousand yards for this team, and it just goes to show. Chris Olave is at 848 yards with at least two games left to play. Um, or with at least, yeah, at least two games left to play. Let's say they possibly lose to Michigan. Um, I don't, I don't really think it's possible, but two games left to play. He needs 150 yards, 160 yards, and he put up 140 against MSU. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he gets to a thousand, uh, Garrett Wilson's at 939, so he needs about 60 yards uh, to break 1,000. And Jackson Smith and Jigba's already over it. They also have guys on the depth chart that are, you know, freshman Mayan Williamson, uh, Julian or Julian Fleming. Like the, the, These guys are just ahead above everyone else in terms of talent on this roster. And they had nine tackles for loss, this OSU defense did. Um, you weren't really seeing that production early on in the year. Now, they only had two sacks, but... State only threw the ball, only attempted 36 passes. He didn't really have a lot of time back there, Peyton Thorne. And, you know, when Kenneth Walker gets six, six carries and Elijah Collins gets three and Joshua Simmons, I think, or Jordan Simmons gets seven, I mean, that's that's not a good day for your offense if you're Michigan State. I talked about how they could possibly stay in it, how they had to limit the deep ball, force everything in front of you, and State just didn't come out with a good game plan. Uh, I don't know whoever their safety was. Uh, what? Let me see if I can find them. I don't know what the safety was, but he got burned on like three straight plays where the dude, like he, he caught up and tried to go on the, you know, post or crossing deep crossing route. And someone was running a deeper post or a fly route right behind it. And he, he was just lost all day. That secondary needs some work. 
Um, I'm not going to talk about Mel Tucker's contract in relation to this game. It's one game. Uh, Ohio State matches up really well with MSU. I talked about that, how MSU really struggles defensively uh, on stopping passes, but that was usually a product of not being able to run against them. OSU also ran for 206. Now, I know that's later in the game, and they only only averaged 4.8 yards a, a carry, um, but it, it just it wasn't a close game. It, it, it really shows how good when, when Ohio State plays their best game, um, what it looks like for other teams. When, when they put you in a hole and their offense is rolling and on time and in rhythm and your offense is trying to play catch-up, I mean, that's when, they're, that's when they're great. And State wasn't really at the capacity to do that, um, especially when they got down so early and Kenneth Walker not really being a vital factor for them having to run, throwing the ball, and not even getting the ball on screens to him. Um, There's a few times early in the game they tried to, and OSU's defense was smart and snuffed it out. I'm not going to be talking about um, Michigan's matchup with OSU until Friday. Um, I know some of you would be like, oh, give us, a, give us your take now. I, I, I assume Michigan probably loses by two scores um, at a minimum. I know it's home field, so maybe you get them like 11 points because they kicked a late field. I, I don't know how it's really going to look. But uh, I, I'm not confident in them this week. But this was a surpriser. I think Ohio State moves to number two uh, this week with how much Alabama struggled against um, Arkansas and how Alabama has a real deficiency on the defensive side of the ball. Now, their offense can take the top off the defense. Their offense is extremely good, um, extremely elite. Jamison Williams, um, former OSU wide receiver, like that's crazy. He's the number one wide receiver for Alabama. Wasn't even going to sniff the field for Ohio State. He's also their lead kick returner. I don't think he's their punt returner, but lead kick returner. And uh, that dude flies. He's going to be probably a first-round draft pick, maybe a second round, just because I don't think he's very big. He doesn't have the prototypical build. Like uh, some of these, like Olave or Wilson, have a little bit bigger of a build compared to Williamson. But he's a flyer. Like I'd like that for like the Lions. Have a guy that can take the goddamn top off a of defense. That man flies. But I'm not going to talk about my Michigan take. Didn't really matter. Um, San Diego State beat UNLV 28-20. I mean, San Diego State, they shouldn't really be where they're at. You know, they play a very poor schedule. They already have a loss, and they barely beat UNLV, one of their rivals. Um, Michigan came out and handled business against Maryland. Um, For you Michigan fans out there, I'm not going to break this game down super, super intensely, but if you didn't watch the game, State fans, um, Maryland missed some huge opportunities. There was two touchdowns that uh, Tua's brother missed, over the moon, Tungo Tuvaloa. Um, he missed some wide open guys. There was a lot of miscommunication um, on some weird sets. Now, next week, uh, well, this Saturday, that's going to be six, you know, at, at the minimum against OSU. There's some things to clean up. I think Michigan ran a lot more zone in this game in preparation for playing OSU, and there's a lot of confusion on responsibilities, who you're supposed to be. Uh, Michigan has a very poor lack of eye control and eye discipline. Um, You saw it in the Nebraska game. You saw it in the Rutgers game with trick plays and guys coming out of the backfield and linebackers kind of flying up to stop the run. And I think OSU is going to go after that, but I think Michigan's going to have a better offensive game plan to run it grind the ball, waste time. But, I mean, it could also go the same way. I could see the exact same thing happening to Michigan State as it did with Michigan. I'm not trying to gloat on State's, you know, death bad. Uh, You know, it's irrelevant to me. Um, I I will say, though, Sparty fans, one thing that pisses me off uh, about your fan base, not about my friends, you guys are dope, but Sparty fan base is like, oh, my God, you're celebrating Michigan State losing. It's like, bro, when Michigan State 
wasn't making, you know, wasn't making bowl games, was going like six and six, and Michigan was trying to compete for, you know, Big Ten second or third or first, and Michigan got blown out, you guys were celebrating that like a bowl win, which I'm okay with. Like, like I, I encourage it. I think it's part of the rivalry is laughing when one of your teammates and one of your, you know, uh, teams you hate loses, um, uh, especially when it's a blowout fashion and like the last few years have been for Michigan. But I, I just hate the fact that people are like, you guys, are, you guys are celebrating this like a win. It's like, okay, if you guys would have won that game, then Michigan couldn't have won the Big Ten Championship. Not that I think they're going to necessarily win this game, but it's it's just the dumbest commentary I've ever really heard is state fans are like, blah, 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 Michigan State, uh, we sold my real victories over here, guys. You, you Michigan fans, you don't have any real victories. It's like, you beat Michigan this year. Yeah, congratulations. And and, and I'm not going to take that away. It was a really hard-fought, close game. Um, it, it, was, it was fun. Kenneth Walker went off. He had five touchdowns. But... The fact of the matter is, right, is that when it came down to it, State got blown out twice. Like, like, and don't come at me in the comments, and friends, don't try to make this an issue. It's just a fact, right? I'm stating a fact. Michigan State, when it came down to trying to win the Big Ten, they got blown out twice. And they had let up 700 or a, like 1,000 yards of passing offense in two games. Like, that's an issue. Like, I'm coming out this objectively, and... I just hate the fact that there's so much commentary, especially on Twitter and Michigan Twitter discourse, is that Michigan fans are celebrating state losing. It's like, guys, we all do that. Shut up. Like, no one doesn't care less or doesn't care more about the rivalry, right? Uh, one fan base isn't more petty or less petty, right? Like, like, if you think that, you're being a biased fan. Because what I assume is that you hear stupid Sparty fans talking like, oh my God, we went to Indianapolis. Uh, okay, that was five years ago, right? 2015? Yeah. So so it's just as irrelevant as 80 years ago, right? Because it isn't your head coach, right? None of those players are still here. Like, like I just I just don't understand that the arrogance everyone has is that is like one one team cares way too much and we're we're your little brother. Which I've said it again and again is a stupid comment and I don't support like I troll about it a little bit. Like, I'll, I'll troll when I'm speaking to Sparties, but it's just not, like, a good look. Like, they're not our little brother. They definitely have kicked their ass like a little brother the last few years. But the one frustrating thing and one thing that I really annoys me is just how biased both fan bases can be. Like, uh, Scott Bell, I want to say, he's on Twitter a lot, and he literally trolls Spartan fans all day and then says they're an irrelevant program that he doesn't care about. And it's like, dude, 90% of your tweets are about state. Now, now it's it's fine that ninety percent of your tweets are out state. It's a rivalry. You like trolling them. You like you like getting them all riled up. I get that, but stop acting with this air of superiority on either side. Like, just say what it is. We both get our dick kicked in by OSU, right? It, it, like, like who cares? Like, I, I just hate the, this this bullshit that people try and convince themselves that one fan base is more petty or or less petty or more concerned or, or less concerned. You know, it's just like. Dude, people were stomping. MSU fans were stomping on Harbaugh's graves last year when he went two and four in a weird COVID year. And like you guys were literally dancing, you know, firestorms on 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 Harbaugh's deathbed and U of M fans, you know, losing it. And it's like that that's that's the rivalry. That's the part of it. So stop acting like like dickwad. Stop acting like morons and, and just ex know that that's both sides of the rivalry. Both sides are idiots, right?
Both sides have dumb people. Both sides have good people. I'm trying to be one of those good people, but stop acting like it's all one-sided and it's just, it's just annoying and dumb. Um, I will say Kate McNamara has been playing much better uh, later into the year. JJ McCarthy is getting some more runtime. Don't be surprised if he had some red zone packages. He ran it a bit against Maryland, uh, but Kate McNamara was 21 of 28, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Andrell Anthony, guys, is the real deal. He only had one reception, but he catches things that aren't supposed to be you know, catches. Same with Mike Sanders still. He had a beautiful catch. There's two really beautiful catches in this game. But Donovan Edwards, I talked about this. I was like, he's been out injured. You'd like to see him get some use. I know he can catch it out of the backfield. He only had three carries, but he had 10 receptions for 170 yards and touchdown, 77 yards being one of them. Um, he was a check down option late into uh, the end of the second quarter. They kicked the field goal with him. He has extremely good hands. I mean, I think he's a better receiver than Quorum probably is. Now, I think Quorum's a little bit more explosive, a little more shake and bake, but Donovan Edwards is going to be a really, really good running back. I'd like to see him get more carries. Son Haskins had 20 carries, 70 yards, two touchdowns. It'll be interesting to see uh, next week kind of where all these guys, Dalen Baldwin, Jacksonville State transfer, he got some reps in this week. I know he's been battling injuries, but he has some of the most consistent hands. Cornelius Johnson, he drops too many footballs. He had so many drops. And uh, A.J. Henning also had a fumble alongside a muffed punt. But a pretty good win, 59-18. Um, Michigan can't stop two-point conversions or fourth down, so it'll be interesting to see how aggressive OSU is during the game. But uh, we will see. Um, Clemson beats Wake 48-27. We knew it, right? I talked about this. I was like, like, this is one of those, I was like, they're going to upset them. I was like, but it's going to be by a lot. I was like, it's at Clemson. Wake hasn't really played a true away game. Uh, they played at North Carolina, but that isn't a good atmosphere. Clemson's probably going to move up into the top 25 this week after a very crazy year, giving Georgia another top 25 win because they beat up on the ACC. And um, it, it's it's incredible kind of how everything goes down. Um, Clemson... Their offense still isn't very good. It's way too topsy-turvy. They don't have consistency really anywhere. But one of the things that you can kind of look at um, why they do it is because they have some dogs on the offensive side of the ball that win day in and day out. Um, now, I will say, guys, that Wake has to go in after getting their dick kicked in against Clemson and go play at Boston College. If Wake Forest loses that game, Clemson <laughs> will, uh, as long as they win their last game of the year against South Carolina, Clemson will be in first place, tied for first with the go-ahead against Wake Forest. Um, I think they'd win out because they'd be the highest-ranked team. So that's really funny. Pitt has wrapped up with the win against West Virginia. Um, really close game back and forth, but the scoring offense of Pitt, just West Virginia's – or sorry, Virginia's defense was just not good enough to stop them. Um, Pittsburgh got some key stops when they needed to. Like Brian Armstrong threw for 487 and three touchdowns, but they only ran for 27 yards um, on 24 attempts. Um, and, you know, that's not really going to get the win, you know, the dub when you're on the road in a tough environment. Kenny Pickett had 340 um, for four touchdowns. He played decent. But a uh, few few games uh, that I basically called correctly, um, there, I also said Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Iowa State's going to be a close game, even though it's you know Iowa State isn't highly ranked. They always give people fits, especially when they're not supposed to. Seven point game. Iowa State was driving late in the fourth quarter. Um, pass goes off the wide receiver tight end's hands, ends up being a pick. Um, 
like like typical Iowa State to lose that game. Oklahoma isn't very good. Um, they may get out of the season with only one loss. They may be Oklahoma State, but uh, I really like Oklahoma State in the last week of the season here. Um, Oklahoma's offense is just they they don't do enough enough well. They ran for 209, but you know Caleb Williams threw for 87 yards and a touchdown. Like it wasn't exactly dynamic. He was eight of 18. Didn't didn't really get the job done, if you will. Uh, Texas A&M beat Prairie View, tough match up there. Mississippi State beat Tennessee State, uh, 55-0, tough matches up match up there. Um, Iowa versus Illinois, I kind of talked about this in the lead. I said, look, Illinois has been playing a lot of teams really close this year. They got to win this game for bowl eligibility. They're going to get everything. And I said, but Brandon Peters isn't really quite good enough to lead this team. They ran for 64 yards. Um, Brandon Peters threw for 248, but he had two picks. Um, and, and, you know, that was really it. Iowa lined up and just ran, bulldozed into him as many times as they could. That 172 rushing yards on 52 attempts, 3.3 yards. Um, that offense is still so stagnant. Uh, they're not going to blow out any teams, and Illinois was close to an upset there. Iowa gets a late pick and then kicks a field goal to end up going ahead of that one, um, but really close game. Notre Dame beats the brakes off of Georgia Tech. Alabama, Arkansas, I talked about this, and I talked about kind of the efficiencies of Alabama football. Um they stopped the run this week. They had 110, there's 42 carries. Arkansas kind of pounded their head a little bit. 42 carries for 110 yards, 2.6. But they threw for 358 in the air, um, 326 yards for Jefferson, 22 of 30, um, three touchdowns. Uh, this, this Alabama secondary, I thought their their front was bad. Their front seems to have gotten better since that Texas A&M game. But this secondary is really bad. Uh, in the same breath, their offense is on a completely different level. Bryce Young was 31 of 40 for 559 yards and five touchdowns. He averaged 14 yards per attempt. Uh, Bijan Robinson, or what was it? What's his name? Brian Robinson um, had 27 carries for 122 yards. So they, you know, they ran the ball decently effective, uh, able to control that clock. Um, John, Jamison Williams had 119, three touchdowns. John Mechie had 173. Um, those guys are both going to be going in the draft this year. So Alabama continuing to churn out top and high level uh, prospects. Will Anderson had three and a half tackles for a loss. I know a lot of people are talking about him being on the conversation for Heisman. He has 13 sacks this year, which is second in the country. Um, but he doesn't have any forced fumbles or, or, you know, he doesn't have the violence. So he has 13 sacks, but, you know, not necessarily on the level. Um, I know Alabama fans really love the way he plays. That was a really close game. Arkansas kept it close. Um, like I said, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised with OSU's win if they jump Alabama um, and with Oregon's loss as well. Wisconsin-Nebraska, guys, I literally called it. I was like, Nebraska's going to play him tough. I know it's at Madison, so it could turn into a blowout. Probably going to come from a late turnover for uh, Adrian Martinez. It's exactly what happened. Uh, Adrian Martinez threw for 351, a touchdown, but he threw for two picks. He was averaging 10 yards an attempt, which is really good. That, like, Alabama put up 42, averaging 14. Adrian Martinez was averaging 10, but just the turnovers killed him. Two interceptions, um, and, and just penalties killed him here, too. There's a late pass interference call for any of you Nebraska fans watching. I agree it was pass interference. Those are the things that sometimes get missed in the heat of the moment. Those are the things that I'm frustrated about with the Big Ten refereeing. He, he was so clearly PI'd on the last play of the game. Um, the dude jumped squarely into him. Um, you know, defeated his availability to get after the ball, and it just really didn't matter. Um, Graham Mertz was 12 of 18, 145 yards, a touchdown. 
Wisconsin running backs, guys. Uh, Braylon Allen, I think he's still 17 years old, had 22 carries for 228, 10 yards an attempt, and three touchdown rushes. This man broke tackles. He was an absolute dog. Um, and, and Wisconsin gets the close win here. Wisconsin is going to be the team you know, that comes out of the West as long as they win the last game of the year, which I believe is against Minnesota. Minnesota's one a good team, but I, I don't expect them to win the last game of the year. So Wisconsin most likely coming out of the West. If not, it's going to be Iowa who plays Nebraska this week, or maybe both of them lose and Minnesota jumps in and Minnesota has like a weird tiebreaker. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how all of this shakes out. Purdue is bowl eligible. Um, Illinois, Nebraska, and uh, Northwestern are the only teams that aren't going to be bowl eligible outside of Indiana. And then last matchup, Big Ten matchup that I'm I'm not going to talk about, um, you know, because it's an irrelevant game. But Maryland and Rutgers, both of them are playing four bowl games. They're both five and six bowl game eligibility. It, uh, it will be shocking to see kind of who makes it out of that. Um, it's it's going to be a contest, man, and 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 it's absolutely good to have these teams, you know, competing. Indiana loses another game, guys. Gets blown out by Minnesota. Um, they're not going to win a Big Ten game this year. So, you know, one one moment away, one throw away last year from Big Ten championship game birth to this year uh, not winning a single game. Uh, that, that sucks. UTSA almost loses the UAB. Um, like, they shouldn't move up. Just stay kind of there. Uh, Cincinnati blows out SMU. I really thought the SMU was going to have a chance here. Um to kind of attack the Cincinnati team, but the Cincinnati defense played extremely well, didn't let them really go anywhere. And, you know, Cincinnati's a good team. They're probably going to make the playoff. With Oregon losing, they're going to move up. And then as long as uh, Bama loses to Georgia, I don't see a way that they won't make it. So um, because if Bama beats Georgia, Georgia, Bama are in, then you have Ohio State, and then maybe someone else flirts in. I mean, they're likely going to make it. Baylor with a 10-point win against Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State, you know, it's always tough to play there. Uh, 17-10 was the closest the game really was. Uh, Baylor fumbled, giving um, Kansas State the ball. Kansas State played a little bit conservative, and it didn't really pay off. Um, Baylor is a good team. I think they'll probably end up in the top nine, probably play in one of the Big 12 Bowls. But uh, I think they just have too many losses to make it in unless some craziness ensues. Oregon loses. They get actually blown out. Um, the offense performance from Oregon was just not there. Utah said, we're going to stop you from running the ball. We're going to force you to throw. We're going to get you down early and then just keep hammering away. Utah ran for 208 on 50 carries, 4.2 yards, and four rushing touchdowns. Um, it just wasn't close. Utah got whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and it was one of those games where you're like, yep, that, that makes sense that Oregon absolutely dominated or, or got dominated in this game, 38-7. to Oregon's probably going to drop near the 10 mark. Utah's going to jump all the way up, and they actually have to play again, I believe. Yeah, so Oregon, as long as Oregon doesn't lose the last game of the year against Oregon State, they'll have to play again. Um, so that might be one of those years where they both bounce each other out and get to, you know, Oregon ends up with 10 wins and they play in the Rose Bowl um, because of their high ranking. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Utah here, who, you know, lost a few confusing ones early on in the year, was, didn't really know what was going on, lose to BYU, lose to San Diego State in three overtimes, 
You know, if they don't have those losses, they're they're in the road for possibly competing for a championship. You know, with a win against Oregon like that, um, Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt by two scores. Eh, Sir, uh, NC State beats Syracuse by a lot. Um, Oklahoma State shuts out Texas Tech in Lubbock. Um, this or Oklahoma State team, guys, they're they're good. They're they're physical. They can play some defense. Um, this is my dark horse to make the 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 play. So. They have to go. They have a home game against Oklahoma, and then they will play Baylor. So their last two games of the year will be top ten. If a weird thing like they they really don't want Cincinnati to go in because of who Cincinnati's kind of been playing all year, and that they don't necessarily deserve it. This is a team that if two back-to-back ranked wins, uh, last games of the year, um, and you want Baylor to be one of those big bowls because of their brand and stuff like that. Oklahoma loses another one. I wouldn't be surprised at all if. Uh, Oklahoma jumps up some spots, Oklahoma State, I'm saying, to like six, because then they have an opportunity to make the championship. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of my college football talk. Um, There wasn't really a whole lot of drama surrounding anything, but it was was a lot of fun. It was a really fun weekend to kind of watch football. There's a lot of good games on. Um, throughout the night watching, you know, some of the bigger games were blowouts, but I'm super excited for this week. Even if Michigan loses in a blowout, um, it's it's still going to be a fun weekend. Uh, Arizona plays ASU. So uh, my girlfriend's going to that game. So I have to kind of be chauffeur. So I can't get too drunk, even if Michigan loses, because I have to drive them. Um, But it's going to be a really fun time watching this, um, watching this weekend kind of unfold, seeing how everything dials up, where the last rankings are before we have championship week, which will really decide a lot of them because if OSU loses to Wisconsin or something crazy happens, it'll be it'll be really, really interesting to kind of see how everything happens here. Sorry, I had to take a quick drink. Um, following NFL stuff, um, Lions lose. Browns aren't very good, but I kind of predicted the Lions to win this game. Um, one of the things when Dan Campbell was hired... Um, we knew that he wasn't going to be a huge X's and O's guys. We, we knew that he wasn't going to be the offensive mastermind um, that, you know, dictates and calls up an a incredibly new scheme that, 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 that riles through the playbooks and finds some old weird gadget plays. Like, we knew that that isn't necessarily what we were getting with Dan Campbell. We, we kind of knew that we were getting one of those guys that's more of a leader. No, one of those guys that's more of a, a what's the best way to say it? You know, like a like a hip-hop hooray guy. You know, he's not the strategist. He's not going to know the ins and outs maybe as much as you'd want a head coach to. He didn't have a lot of experience. I think he was a tight ends coach for New Orleans. But he needs to let his hands go. And he needs to be there primarily as a hands-off manager because he has his hands in the offense and the offense knows how to run the 1970s offense and it's important to run the ball and they missed and and the Lions scored on a running play but the lack of consistency in decision making so what do I mean by that lack of consistency in decision making I mean that's kind of irrelevant well if, if you have a way in, in an idea on how you do things, so if it's fourth and two and you're down seven, should you go for it? Well, maybe. But it shouldn't be a question in your head. You should have everything kind of determined beforehand. And we saw 
uh, the Lions in the Bears game just refused to kick field goals, like 38-yard field goal. Like, it's not like it was a 56-yard field goal. Maybe 56-yard field goal you go for, you're about midfield. How, how much do you trust your punter and your punt team and everyone to get down there? I get that. But he went for it every single time, like, especially when he wasn't supposed to. It was, it was like, I think it was a 10-point game, and it was like third quarter in just refusing to kick field goals. It didn't really make sense to me. And, and then we go to the next week, right? We, we go to the next week, and it's like the exact opposite. He refuses to go for it because he failed so many times. Now, part of that is because Jared Goff sucks. Part of that is because receiving core sucks. But this defense competes. This offensive line is good. But there needs to be somewhere, so, a playmaker somewhere. I, there just isn't enough guys, which they need to go out free agency. I, I don't know the free agents who you had receivers. I'll probably talk to you about it in the offseason, but he needs to go after some guys and he, he needs to hammer on playmakers. Take guys in the draft that can take the top off the defense. It sucks that Quintez Cephas got injured. Amara St. Brown really isn't the, the tactician route runner. Take the top off the defense that maybe you would want in this offense, but it, it just is a stagnant, boring, um, Un-unique offense, and because of that, the Lions, who lack talent already, don't out-scheme anyone they play, and they rely on themselves to win, and they simply can't. And it is a talent level thing, but you have to be able to score 17 points against a very bad Browns defense. You have to be able to manage a game much better than Dan Campbell has, and that's my biggest critique on Dan Campbell right now, is I knew he wasn't going to be this this guru on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. I knew that he was trying to put co-offensive coordinators, co-guys, you know, coordinators all over the field that have real-life experience and that are smart and know how to do it. And what we've seen is a failure of him to be able to connect on that point. And I've heard a lot that he consistently kind of overrides people's statements. He consistently does a lot of things that, you know, is, is, is a net negative to his team. And should should do I think he should get a few more years? Yes. Look, his draft picks are good. Penny Sewell, the last three weeks, once he moves the right tackle, he hasn't let up a pre- he hasn't let up a sack, and he's let up five pressures. Ex- playing extremely well. Um, run game, they don't run to him as much because the right guard isn't very good, and the left guard was really good at run blocking, so they ran it to the left a lot when he was on the left side. They do run it to the right a little bit now, but not as much as when he was on the left side. But He's been playing well. Um, Aleel Nix or Akeem Nix, whatever his name is, playing well in the middle. Guys in the second get dairy are playing well. They're young. They're going to make mistakes. They're dumb. But this team is getting better on a defensive standpoint, on an offensive line standpoint. But we haven't seen a jump in quarterback wide receiver play. TJ Hawkinson is the only guy that consistently catches balls for this team. Even when he doesn't catch, or even when they throw it to other guys and there's an opportunity because they're open, they usually drop it. Jared Goff has been on and off injured. He looks awful. This line uh, has some holes in it where he gets pressured a lot and he's a goddamn statue back there. So there's a lot of negatives in this. And and, and it just, it can't look like that, you know, coming off a bye week with Pittsburgh. Now the games are close, right? They got blown out two of the last three games heading the bye week. And now, now the games are close, but it's still not yet to the point where you feel comfortable with this team. They had 77 passing yards this week. 77. Um, let's look stats. Can I get a game log? Um, bop, 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 bop. Damn it. 
Okay, so Jared Goff, I'm going to just click on him. So 77 this week from uh, Boyle. 114 against Pitt, 222 against Philly. Um, average uh, attempts, you know, average yards per attempt. Uh, he hasn't been over seven and a half since they played Minnesota. You know, and probably since the first few games of the year. And and, and that's just an indication of uh, inability to game plan, inability to adapt. No, he's only been over 7.5 one time, not even when he threw for 338 against San Francisco. One time in the Chicago Bears loss, threw for 299 yards. He threw for two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has on the year eight, interse- or eight touchdowns to six interceptions. He has thrown zero for the last five games, and Boyle does it again this week. So passing offense is just anemic. They're running the same schemes. They aren't getting out. They aren't doing anything new, cool, unexpected. And and it shows by how well teams are being able to game plan them now and how ineffective the offense has truly become. So that's really a, a negative on the NFL. Um, continuing on updates, Colts, guys. Jonathan Taylor scored five touchdowns. He's a dog. Um, I talked about how much I loved him. I talked about how people gave him bad you know, grades in the draft. He had 32 carries for 185, four touchdowns. He also had a receiving touchdown. He had 19 yards receiving. He had 23 long, so he had some negative catches in there. Um, this, this Indianapolis Colts team has figured it out. They're like, hey, we're riding Jonathan Taylor. Now, am I concerned about his load that he's currently handling? Yes. Um, he had a lot of carries in college, so you know he can do it. But Naheem Hines is a really good runner behind him. Right, so that's one of the things I don't understand is you can give Naheem Hines is a good receiver out of the backfield. He's a good running back. I think Jonathan Taylor needs some more breaks, only because this Indianapolis Colts schedule really toughens up. They play the Buccaneers, running into the Buccaneers line. You might want to line up up as wide receiver, send them in motion, get some weird running. You know, then you play the Texans, you play the Patriots, you play the Cardinals. Those are some really really good defenses, really good teams, and. You know, don't don't wear this guy out. You know, 32 carries in this game. They were up big the entire time. Maybe get Hines some carries. I know Mac can still get some carries. But, I mean, just he's so incredible when he's running the ball, guys. And I just find it so funny that people try to convince us, hey, you know, uh, Wisconsin running backs, they don't do well. I was like, yeah, they do. If you give Wisconsin running backs a lead blocker, you give him someone to pull behind, or you give him an extremely unique run scheme with a zone concept it's it's re- he's really effective and that's what they do here and that's what he's you know made his bread and butter on what i what i tend to see happen is wisconsin running backs run a very specific way with very different intent than most other college running backs they usually don't catch the ball in the backfield that well like uh melvin gordon but you put them in a scheme con- like a zone scheme with a lead blocker or, or you know a tight end pulling from the other side in a zone scheme to you know lead the edge they know how to run that offense. You know, it's when people try and put them in a more power dynamic without a lead blocker or or soft zone without a lead blocker because they're so used to running out of the eye. And, and you know, it's I always talk about this. You have to build your scheme around the guys you draft. It, it wouldn't have made sense to use Jonathan Taylor as a huge pass production guy, as a huge catch guy. And everyone's like, yeah, well, Christian McCaffrey does. And it's like, yeah, but that's his game plan. That's why Christian McCaffrey returned punts. That's why he returned kick returns. That's why he said all these yard stats in college is because he was so dynamic. But if you need someone to run the ball, if you need someone to get six or seven carries, 
Jonathan Taylor is extremely good at that, and he's extremely reliable. Everyone always talks about, oh, look at all these carries, look at all these carries, look at all these carries. He had, I think, 900 through three years at Wisconsin. It's like, that should be a boon. Like, I, I know you need to look at it and be nervous about it and be like, hey, we should manage, you know, low, low end manage him through the first part of his career because injuries start to pile up. But he's been able to run 900 times in his career. You know, he was able to run a whole hell of a lot without getting injured. That should be, you know, a, a testament to his durability, to him playing hurt. Um, Ravens beat the Bears. Bears are really bad guys. Uh, Andy Dalton comes in, lights it up after Justin Fields struggles. Um, but that offense is in chaos. You know, Justin Fields didn't really know what was going on. Andy Dalton came in, was 11 for 23 for 201 yards, uh, and threw two touchdown passes, tried to pull it pull it through, but that Bears defense, you know, didn't quite get it. Tyler Huntley looked decent. He did throw a pick, and he did get six, sacked six times. Some of the sacks were more on him than on the offensive line, but, um, you know, Baltimore played really well. They know what they're going to do. They didn't even run the ball very effectively, and, and they still had, you know, no Le'Veon Bell. They only averaged 3.6 yards a carry, but he found the tight end a lot. They did enough. Their defense was just good enough to, you know, win. Um, and I told you guys that I was going to talk about Le'Veon Bell and kind of his journey. So let me jump to that. So Le'Veon Bell was drafted in the second round, 48th overall pick by the Steelers. Um, he had a decent rookie year, but he really came on in his second and third year. His second and third year, um, he had a he two-time pro bowler uh, in those years. Had over 1,200 yards rushing, 600 yards receiving. So he's right around 2,000 all-purpose yards. He didn't quite get it, but he was he was sniffing 12 or uh, 2,000 all-purpose yards, uh, which is really, really, really incredible for a guy that young. He does have an injury, only plays six games the next year, comes comes back, has another 1,200-plus yard, 600-plus yard receiving season. Um, you know, really handling that Steelers offense, really handling kind of everything they did there. In 2018, he sits out because of contract dispute. So the Steelers offered him a lot of money, maybe not at the top end that he wanted. I think they offered him similar to what Zeke was, uh, Zeke was, you know, rumored to be getting around that time. Um, and he just re refused it, sat out. They franchise tag him, and he just sat out, missed a year, refused to play. 2019 comes around, franchise tag is gone, um, and then he signs with the Jets. In his time with the Jets in 2019, he averaged 3.2 yards per carry. He had less than 800 yards total rushing, less than 500 yards receiving. That Jets offense wasn't very good, but he wasn't a very productive member of it. 3.2 yards per carry is anemic. Um, the Jets, you know, he plays a few games early on in the Jets uh, in 2018, uh, sorry, 2018, 2020, plays a few games for the Jets. He has a bigger contract. Jets don't want to handle him, kind of being a negative. Gets picked up by KC, doesn't really do anything there. Gets picked up by Baltimore, gets dropped there. I mean, sometimes you play games and you win prizes because you play the game, and that was one of those with, you know, he was a two time, three time Pro Bowler, two team, two time. First team All Pro. Those are elite numbers. Those are those are numbers where guys are like, wow, he's he's on pace to have a Hall of Fame career, and and he got in his own way. Now I know injuries and I know stuff like that, and some of you guys would be like, well, if he doesn't want to work, he doesn't have to. I agree. I think that at the point though, the Steelers weren't being unfair with him. He was being unfair with the Steelers organization. He was overvaluing himself. He they were like, hey, it's part of our scheme. We have a really good offensive line. You catch the ball because we use you well. He's gone to three other teams and he's hasn't made. He made it through one full season with the Jets where. He 
averaged 3.2 yards per carry and you know he's off another team i hope the best for him he's an msu guy um i always support their players but it, it really is just tough scenes um you know over there and, and stuff like that. Next up, we have the Texans versus Titans. The Texans pick up another win, guys, which is really good news for us Detroit Lions fans as we're slowly securing the number one draft pick. Um, they did it in a weird way. It was really a defensive performance. Tennessee finally kind of ran into someone who schemed up what they were doing well. Um, Tyrod Taylor passed for 107 yards. They ran for 83 yards. It was, it was a really weird kind of dynamic there. They threw the ball short a lot of times. Um, they threw it to a bunch of different guys. And, you know, it was, just, it was just really weird. Ryan Tannehill threw four picks. He got sacked twice. That Houston defense was running all over the field. See, Ryan Tannehill threw for 323 yards, but uh, those four picks and sacks, he also uh, fumbled twice. Not, neither of them were lost, but whenever you fumble twice, it's definitely not a good look. And, you know, short fields led to a lot of field goals for Houston, even though their offense wasn't moving the ball, and they get a win. Huge kind of upset here. I, I know the line was pretty much closer. I talked about how I really liked Green Bay in this game. Uh, turns out that Rashawn Gary was out. Um, this, this Vikings team had plenty of time to throw in the pocket. Cousins got sacked twice. He was 341 for three touchdowns. Justin Jefferson had 169 with two touchdowns. Adam Thielen added a touchdown. Tyler Conklin. CMU boy, David Clunder's cousin, had 35 receiving yards. Um, they didn't really run the ball very effectively. Uh, Dalvin Cook had 86 yards, but it was really the play-action game off the run game. Um, the, the Packers, DBs, really couldn't cover Justin Jefferson. They ran a really good route concepts, um, the Minnesota team did, where they were running overs and unders and making guys try and choose between Thielen and Jefferson. And in the Green Bay Packers got a little confused on that back end, and when there isn't a consistent pass rush and Cousins has time to pick apart a defense, um, he, you know, he's pretty good. Um, I still don't like him, and I think he's a little overrated, especially for how much he got paid. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't the offense that was struggling for uh, Green Bay here. Is definitely the defense that got exposed by this Minnesota offense. As Minnesota gets to 500, which is huge for them. Um, I know they play the Lions coming up in a few weeks here. Um, yeah, so they had, or, oh, no, they, they already played the Lions twice. Did they? Oh, no, no, no. They played the Lions uh, in two weeks. Yeah, I was, it, it, it just jumped up because Lions are favorited here. I, I should have noticed that. Got yeah, 49ers this week, then the Lions, then the Steelers. Uh, they end with the Bears, Rams, Packers, Bears. So we'll see how that kind of goes up. Um, they, they do have, you know, some tough games down the stretch, but they just get to 500. Um, Green Bay drops one. I, I don't think you're really mad at a whole lot here. Defense obviously just has to play better. Um, there was a few times where there were plays that the Green Bay could make, and they just didn't get stops. Um, Aaron Rodgers threw for 385, four touchdown passes. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has really stepped up and became one of those guys this week that, you know, can take the top off the defense. You know, we always talk about Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams. You know, who else on the outside is, is looking to win? And Valdez Scantley had a 75-yard touchdown reception. He, he was able to take the top off at times. And that's what this Green Bay Packers offense needs. Um, A.J. Dillon um, is an elite playmaker. Uh, he had 53 yards rushing, 4.8 yards per attempt. He had six receptions for 44 yards. One of those guys, like I said, that everyone knew they were a really good runner, but he didn't. He kind of dropped down. Um, he was picked right after Jonathan Taylor. He was kind of picked a little bit later just because he doesn't do things that normally that you expect guys to do, but he's learned how to catch the ball. He has pretty soft hands. Um, he learns it. Dolphins versus Jets. Dolphins pick up a win um, this week. Um, 
Tua uh, Tungavailoa had two touchdown passes and interception. Miles Gasson getting used a lot here in this offense. He had five receptions for 50 yards and had uh, 23 carries for 89 yards. Um, Joe Flacco played decent. You know, uh, this offense has looked pretty good. Um, I know with Zach Wilson, and they're talking about him being the starter, I just don't know if he's ready to get through the reads, guys. I don't know if he's necessarily ready to start this, um, get the ball out of his hands quickly, not try to necessarily overextend plays, which is what he did so well at BYU. is his arm talent and everything that he could do athletically, but he has to get through this. You know, you're not playing in, you know, this weird schedule where you play off-brand Mountain West teams and sometimes... And so it was, it was always tough for kind of him to settle down. But Joe Flacco had a good game. Eli Moore, uh, he, he really asserted himself in this game. He had 141 yards and a touchdown, 62-yard long. He had 11 targets. And that was one of the things that I always found suspect of this offense is they have some playmakers like Corey Davis is good. Eli Moore is good. Jamison Crowder is pretty good too. Um, but they just were trying to run these difficult route concepts. And the New York Jets, they're, they're a good two-loss football team. We saw him go in and kick Cincinnati's ass. I mean, I really like the way that this team kind of looks. Quinnen Williams had 15 tackles, 10 solos, for two tackles for loss. Uh, this team doesn't generate a single bit of pass rush. And this uh, Dolphins team is, you know, has problems defending themselves. But uh, I, I like the way the Dolphins pick up a win here. Jets fall, but they're looking more and more competent each week compared to Lions, you know, are getting better on some sides of the ball, but the offense still hasn't figured it out where a team like the Jets was like, hey, you know, like, why didn't we go get Joe Flacco? Why didn't we go pick up someone that, you know, has at least a little expertise to move this offense? Um, Philadelphia, guys, is finding itself on a nice little streak here. Um, It really started, um, I'm going to say, with the the Lions games. Um, They've won three in a row here. They've beat the Lions the Broncos, and the Saints. Uh, Saints obviously still without their starter. Taysom Hill isn't playing. Trevor Simeon's still going. But the Eagles are like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball when we need to. We're going to be efficient in the red zone, right? Jalen Hurts only threw for 147 yards. He sacked three times. He's 13 to 24. But he ran for 69, three touchdowns on the ground. Miles Sanders had 94 yards rushing. And Juwan How- or, yeah, what? Or Jordan Howard, Indiana running back, had 63 yards. Uh, they ran for 242, 4.8 yards per attempt on a really good New Orleans defense uh, that the Philadelphia defense uh, caused two interceptions. I believe they also uh, had a fumble recovery. Um, and, and, you know, Mark Ingram had 88 yards rushing, 5.0 yards per attempt. But Philly got up so early because of all those early turnovers that New Orleans couldn't really run their offense how they wanted to. 40 points whenever you do that is really good. I saw a stat, and I waited it. Waited to do it for this time. But Darius Slay has as many touchdowns since week eight as the Lions do on offense. Three. Darius Slay had a 51-yard interception return. It would have been really nice for uh, Matt Patricia not to run Darius Slay out of town. I think he loved Detroit. I think he was happy to be in Detroit. And it's just absolutely hilarious that, you know, you get one bad bad egg, you get one bad coach, you run a player like Darius Slay out of your place, then you go and Jeff Jeff Okuda. Just imagine if Jeff Okuda could have eased himself in this league playing as a secondary guy, not having to line up against Devontae Adams. They could have played off zone and, you know, bracketed guys sometimes. You know, maybe Devontae Adams and Darius Slay are going after it. You bracket him. But you go to the other side, Marcus Valdez-Scantley, and, and now you're not covering the best receiver in the NFL, and maybe sometimes when you're playing, you know, teams that don't necessarily have a number one, and you're lining up against, you know, really good number two, uh, they bracket and they help you out, and there just wasn't any of that, um, you know, and that that's, those are decisions, you know, that 
you're, you're like, why is the line secondary so bad? It's because, like, you guys had a – not Hall of Famer necessarily, but you had a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback year in and year out, and you run him out of town. Um, who's the dude that plays for uh, Seattle now? I can't remember his name. But you run your safety out of town, you run your cornerback out of town, and you're like, yeah, uh, no wonder our secondary sucks because we had two guys that were probably going to be lifers that, you know, just didn't want to be there. Um, Washington and the Panthers, guys, this was a really good win. Um for Washington as the Panthers drop one. Cam Newton ended up starting this game. He played a really, really good game. 21 of 27 for 181 yards, two touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey goes another week without a rushing touchdown. They really have been using Cam effectively in the red zone. He had a 24-yard rush, um, but they didn't run the ball enough. I thought that the Carolina team could have ran the ball. They had 111 yards on 5.3 yards per carry. They ran a lot of short routes, so Cam Newton was really effective, really efficient, but you know, Christian McCaffrey's catching ball is probably not that far out of the backfield. Um, and they didn't push the ball down the field. And that's one of the things that this Carolina team, especially at the end of Cam Newton's tenure, couldn't do well is push the ball down the field. Now you say may say that's because of the receivers and stuff like that. But they need to take more shots down the field. They're really good at getting little quick chunks and in, in, in running a bunch of plays. But there eventually needs to be some bigger, more explosive plays to let like Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton get some more running lanes. So that's one of the things where Washington plays a really good football team. You know, Taylor Henneke, everyone always wants to talk about, you know, is he the guy going forward? I mean, he's 16th in the league in yards and 15th in touchdowns. Um, he, he does have nine interceptions, but a lot of that was early on in the year. Um, I think one week he had like four um Oh, oh, he had he had he had a little stretch when they lost all their games to New Orleans, Kansas City, Green Bay, and Denver. Those are some really good defenses where he threw a bunch of picks. But uh, last week he threw for 256 a touchdown. This week he threw for three touchdowns and helped win on 16 of 22. I really like him. Um, what we've been seeing more is teams relying on the run game as the weather starts to get colder. Really establishing themselves. Antonio Gibson had 95 yards rushing. Terry McLaurin is wide receiver number one guy out of OSU. Um, didn't really hear a lot about him at o- Ohio State, but absolute dog who went out there. Next up, we have the 49ers and the Jags. 49ers continue to win, find themselves back to 500. They play the Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals, and Falcons. Lots of opportunities to win games here. Down the stretch, they do play the Titans and the Rams. Rams to end the season. But you, you get an opportunity here for San Fran, you know, who's looking good. They go and blow out, right, um, the Rams. They go and blow out Jacksonville. Um, this offense is just grinding them out. This defense is extremely good. They found themselves. And I really want to talk about Jacksonville here because there's a lot of talent on this Jacksonville team. They went out this offseason and, and got absolute, you know, not goaded guys, but they got really, really high-talent, high-level guys. Yeah, so this team has some guys on the outside that have Marvin Jones Jr., they have uh, Jamal Agnew, who's been explosive, they have LaVisca Chenault, Tavon Austin, you know, Laquan Treadwell, James Robinson was really good out of the backfield last year, and they just can't seem to figure anything out. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was 16-25 to for 158 yards, um, sacked three times, and there's been a real displeasure, I just read something, that Urban Meyer's like, dude, we gotta figure something out on this offensive side of the ball, like, how do we either, you know, put in extra protection because Trevor Lawrence isn't getting through his reads? And that was one of the things that, you know, coming out of the draft is like, dude, we know he has the arm, right? It was kind of like the opposite of Joe Burrow. 
Joe Burrow was kind of undisclosed and then came in and he's just super accurate. He has finesse. He can get through his reads. And the transition for Joe Burrow is always going to be quicker for the same reason that Mac Jones is lighting things up. But it's like Trevor Lawrence has to learn how to get through reads and how to learn how to push the ball down the field effectively and not take bad risks. And they haven't figured it out yet. Urban Meyer has been openly talking about the offensive coordinator, things that he doesn't like seeing, things that he's kind of like, man, I really wish that we had a better grasp of this offense. And it just doesn't make sense how they can't be productive. It's like every obvious rundown, they run the ball. Every obvious pass down, they pass the ball. And it just doesn't help them with their tendencies and a young quarterback to figure things out. Um, Next up, we have a huge bounce back game from the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, You know, Las Vegas was, you know, is in shambles, has lost a bunch in a row. They're one time at the top of the AFC West, and now they're 5-5, five and five, and the Bengals end up getting a big win here to move to 6-4. and four. Um, This was pretty obvious to me. Joe Burrow didn't really have a great day, 148 yards, a lot of checkdowns, one touchdown, but they ran the ball extremely effectively. Joe Mixon had 30 carries for 123 yards, four yards a carry, uh, two touchdowns. Jamar Chase didn't really have a great game, 32 yards a touchdown. Tyler Boyd, 49. They weren't able to push the ball down the field. Now, I think part of that is how this Las Vegas team kind of disguise their defense is they're like, they want to force you to play within. They're going to back up. They don't want to have any shots over their head. And, you know, the Bengals end up blowing them out, getting, you know, getting exactly what they asked for, I guess would be the way that I'd put it. Um, So whenever a team, you know, plays a specific way and the other team is effective at it, they're like, okay, you don't want us to throw the ball down the field. You don't want us to push the ball down the field. You want us to run and and check down? Like, okay, that sounds good with me. And then they blow you out 34 and your offense doesn't really do anything. Um, You know, that is not... That that is not ideal. That is not how you want things to kind of work out for you. So when when things like that kind of happen... um, it just shows a lack of preparedness is because maybe you thought that you were going to be able to, but Joe Burrow was like, I'll hand it off and throw 82 checkdowns and we'll rely on Derek Carr to not have a good season. And, you know, Darren Rawler really be the only guy that can catch the ball on the outside and Hunter Renfro, you know, he's going to get his, but they're not really going to do much. And the Cincinnati Bengals defense has had a huge bounce back after, you know, getting absolutely bamboozled by the New York Jets. They've played extremely well able to manage things, you know, quite, quite impressively. And it's games like those that help you, help you figure out what teams you are. Um, The Chiefs end up beating the Cowboys. Chiefs defense came out and played a hell of a game. I really like the Cowboys to have an explosive offense in this, uh, but the Chiefs really figured it out. Dak Prescott threw two picks, um, wasn't able to push the ball down the field. Rushing game wasn't very effective. Ezekiel only had 32 yards. Um, you know, when you have nine carries and six receptions as Ezekiel Elliott, you know this team isn't going to really go out there and impress. C.D. Lamb didn't have a good game. Um, there's some fumbles, some turnovers. And this Chiefs defense, you know, when they needed to, they are able to win. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came back in the running back room, 63 yards, a touchdown. Huge performance by him. Uh, Terry Kill, Travis Kelsey, he, you know, like I said, they simplified the offense. Pat Mahomes threw the ball 37 times. 
260 yards, seven yards in attempt. So not a lot of balls down the field here. He got sacked three times and had one interception, but they were able to run the ball. They did a lot of things really, really, really well. And that's how you win games. That's how you win games in the National Football League. And, you know, everyone's talking about KC, you know, KC, KC, KC. They now get the Broncos at home, the Raiders at home, and then they get the Chiefs or the Chargers. All three of those teams are struggling, and I really like them to do all those. And then, you know, before you know it, they're at 10 wins, and we're like, how did we ever count them out? Um, the Cardinals end up getting a win against the Seahawks. I talked about this. I was like, I don't think the Seahawks are a very good team. Arizona kind of bounces back. Colt McCoy had himself a really good day. The run game hasn't found its footing as much as it did earlier on in the year. And I think part of that is because Kyler Murray is such a dynamic player that he adds so much to the run game. So, so much ability and effectiveness in the run game to kind of change it and become dynamic that allows James Conner to have holes and that didn't really happen but Colt McCoy said all right screw it we're gonna throw the ball 44 times he threw for 328 yards two touchdown passes Zach Ertz had himself a big game 88 yards two touchdowns AJ Green bounced back for 78 yards um, they got Rondell Moore the ball as much as he possibly could 11 targets 11 of 11 51 yards which basically means hey we're gonna throw screens Hey, you don't want us to run the ball? Hey, we get 4.6 yards of carry. Two of these catches, we got first downs. Really effective job um, by this Arizona team. And this Seahawks team is, you know, they're, they're spiraling offensively. They don't know where they're at. Um, they ran the ball for 86 yards. Russell Wilson missed some throws. Tyler Lockett had himself a big game, 150 yards, but DK Metcalf didn't really do anything. And you know, that's kind of, oh, Quandre Diggs was the guy I was thinking of. He, uh, we're looking through this. And I think Seattle, you know, I don't think they, let me look at the schedule. I think it might lighten up uh, in terms of difficulty. Um, so they play Washington, which could be a win. They play 49ers, which at this point I don't think is a win. They got the Texans. Yeah, I mean, they have opportunities, the Texans. Oh, they play the Lions around New Year's, or yeah, around New Year's. So that'll probably be a win. But the Seahawks, I, it's just their year's over. They're going to finish below 500 for the first time in like nine years or seven years, something like that. And this offense is really where the where you got to point the blame to. The defense isn't great, but this offense has been awful so far into the year. Um, they can't run the ball. They got no one on the line that can really block. And Russell Wilson is missing open receivers. Uh, we have the late night game, Chargers versus the Steelers. Justin Herbert, guys, we, I talked about this um, last year. Um, is like he's a very good athlete. He's a bit more effective than maybe you'd think. So Justin Herbert had 382 yards, three touchdown passes, or three touchdown passes. And he also had 90 yards rushing. So um, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense kind of got exposed. Um, we were talking so much of them going into the game. They tied the Lions after you know tough wins against the Browns and the Bears and the Seahawks, and now they you know tie the Brown or tie the Lions. They go and play the. Um, Chargers lose to them, and they have the Bengals, Ravens, and Vikings, and Titans, and Chiefs. You know, it, it, it doesn't ease up. I think this is one of those where we see Pittsburgh, you know, not get the easier wins, not get the wins you're necessarily supposed to, and they may end up with a losing record, be the worst team in the NFC or AFC North this year. Um, Keenan Allen had a really good game. Austin Eckler scored two touchdowns. Um, but this Pittsburgh defense needs to kind of figure it out. Um, the Chargers' offense was struggling. They weren't scoring points in the red zone, and they had zero problems to like doing that this night. Najee Harris, 12 carries for 39 yards. There's not a lot of running room that, behind that offensive line. He, Like I said earlier, he's been more of a product of volume. Ben Roethlisberger not able to push the ball down the field. You know, Whenever you average 6.2 yards attempt passing and 3.1 yards attempt rushing, you know it isn't going to be a great offensive night, and they still scored 
<laughs> 37 points, you know, believe it or not, with some of the turnovers and, and you know, a few big plays here and there. But uh, I just don't think that Chargers team is, gonna, you know, is, is like, great. I, I think they're going to compete in the West. I'll, they'll probably be behind the Chiefs in second place. But there's a lot of things that the the – Chargers don't do well at this point in the season. They didn't really go out and get anyone to change that, and they're really relying on Justin Herbert to score outscore a lot of these teams, which I don't know if he's capable of at this point in his career, although it's going to be fun to see him hopefully in a playoff appearance. Next up, we have Giants and the Buccaneers, guys. Whew. This one is going to be, I think, a blowout. Tampa Bay's favored by 11.5 points. Tampa Bay goes and plays uh, Washington last week. And the Saints back-to-back losses. Um, they get a bye week going into this, and they get they get a bye week. Wait, did they get a bye week? No, no, no. So they had a bye week before the Washington game. Lose that one. They lost two straight after blowing out the Bears, thirty-eight to three. They get the Giants, Colts, Falcons, Bills, Saints. Like it, it's still pretty tough, but they get the Jets and the Panthers the last two weeks of the year, which really could be their saving grace. But I really do want to talk about um, this is an important game for both teams. The Giants, I don't think, are in playoff contention. Saquon and Barkley is back after they beat the, you know, the last three games. The Giants blow out the Panthers. They lose barely to the Chiefs by three, and they beat the Raiders. So they have the Buccaneers this week, and then their, uh, you know, schedule kind of eases up. They get the Eagles, Dolphins, Chargers, and then at the end of the season, they get the Eagles, Bears, and Washington. So they, this is a huge game. If they can win this game, go to four and six, you know, bump themselves into a spot where if you win the next two weeks, you're six and six. Then you have Dallas late in the year. You have the Eagles again, which I think they match up decently well against them. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where this is a make or break point. Do I think they win? No. I think the Buccaneers are going to take out some of their frustration the last few weeks of poor playing and, and put it on them. The Giants don't have the, you know, offensive weapons to necessarily break down this Tampa Bay secondary that's been struggling with so many goddamn injuries. And, you know, it's times like that where you're like, it's more matchup driven, right? And they just don't match up well. They don't have a lot of the same abilities that these other teams did to that could, you know, expose the Buccaneers team. They have a really good rush defense. Um, the Buccaneers over there do. And Saquon Barkley's back, so maybe they try and establish him. Maybe they run some things. I, I don't know how it's going to look like, but I predict that the Giants probably lose by two scores. The betting lines is, are like that right now. It's negative 11. Uh, don't at all be surprised if that's kind of where things head um, um, for this one. Um, next on, we're going to be moving to the NBA. I'm going to finish up kind of talk with Formula One. I'm going to highlight some NHL games that we had over the weekend, including the goddamn Coyotes beating the Red Wings. The Red Wings, you know, kind of falling um, back to mediocrity where we kind of thought where they had a lot of, you know, emptiness where this year may not be the year they're going to have the talent, but they still got to figure it all out. So maybe a good second half of the season. But we're covering every day Formula One, which is really, you know, getting crazy. And then uh, we're going to be, you know, quick little snippet on the NHL. I'm not going to talk about um, NFL or MLB at all, really. But NBA. So the Suns win their 12th in a row. The former team that went there is looking to repeat or repeat appearances in the championship game. They play such good basketball. Um, the way they kind of go about their business is they control the game. They, they play their offensive game and they force you as a... I would say as a 
defensively, they force you into a bubble. They have so much length. They can defend so much of the court. And they do just such a damn good job of, of controlling things that they're able to win games that maybe they aren't supposed to. They end up blowing out the Nuggets. Nuggets who are still struggling this you know, this far into the year. Aaron Gordon hasn't necessarily been where they want to be. Nikola Jokic didn't play, which is probably a big part of the fact because he's guaranteed for it. And DeAndre Ayton had 21-8. and eight. Um, Devin Booker's still rounding into form. But they get guys like Cam Johnson where they took a waiver on him. Um, he came out of UNC, I believe. You know, and, and not a lot of people, you know, thought they were like, eh, he didn't have a great year um, at UNC. But this is a guy that was a highly rated prospect, but he defends, man. And whenever you get a guy that can defend on the wing and then he puts up 22 points on a night, you know, you have a guy like JaVale McGee who's going to add length. You, you, they can just defend anything and anyone, and, and that's a really good recipe to stop teams. You know, they, they held Denver to 97 points. Denver has one of the best offenses. Warriors pick up another win. Um against Toronto. Golden State looking like one of the best teams in the West. It's probably going to be a race. I, I Right now, I think it's a four-team race. If the Lakers figure it out, or three-team race, and if the Lakers figure it out, they can do it. But the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors right now are all playing the best basketball out of anyone. Um, Golden State puts up 119 with Steph Curry scoring 12 points. Jordan Poole puts up 33, and, and you can talk about how Jordan Poole has struggled so far this year shooting, but he was 8 of 11 last night. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has, in, you know, there's a lot of hate against Andrew Wiggins, and I, I think a lot of it is that our expectations for Andrew Wiggins were, he was never going to reach him. We are like, this is the next LeBron. He got, he was part of the trade that sent Kevin Love over. There's already all these expectations. He goes into a terrible situation in Minnesota, playing for an organization that doesn't know how to win. And what does he do on this this Warriors team? Is he's a he's going to defend the best player, right? When Klay Thompson comes back, this might be, without a doubt, the best defensive team in the NBA. Um, if he defends at you know ha, you know three quarters of the level that he was, is that he's really good, especially with Draymond in there. But he's going to defend your best player. He's going to shoot efficiently from the floor. He's going to score 19 to 20 points a night. He's going to be your consistent you know kind of guy in that lineup that that plays and and, and does everything that you need him to do. Uh, Jordan Poole is one of the guys that's at the opposite end of the spectrum. You may get 10, you may get 8, you may get 33 like he did tonight, and the Warriors end up pulling out another really impressive game. Get some of these young guys, uh, starters that aren't really you know, playing a whole lot, aren't really part of the program like Jonathan Kaminga, power forward, big lanky guy. He gets 8 minutes. Um, Damian Lee, one of those guys further down on the bench. Otto Porter had a really game. Juan Toscano-Anderson hasn't been shooting so great so far in this year. But um, it, it's always fun to see a team like the Warriors play. They play a really beautiful brand of basketball. Um, they know where everyone's at. They, they find the open shooters so consistently. Next up, we have the Dallas versus LAC game. Um, Dallas ended up losing, losing this one. Tim Hardaway doesn't shoot a good game. Kristaps Porzingis has 25. And, and you know, that's kind of as Jalen Brunson is still coming on as the point guard. But there was no Luka Doncic. And when you're playing a team like the Clippers and Paul George is playing how Paul George is and Reggie Jackson is going and getting his, both guys with over 20 points. Um, it's a hard team to defend. It's a hard team to, you know, uh, you know, score on too with the, the defense that Paul George is able to play. But I want to talk about another game, important game, um, Pistons versus the Lakers, guys. Um, there is actually a scrap. So if you guys haven't watched, I'd suggest you guys go on Twitter, look up Isaiah Stewart. 
Um, and LeBron James and LeBron James punched Isaiah Stewart square in the face, and Isaiah Stewart went ballistic. Like Isaiah Stewart was run- that is a huge man. Like I- everyone always talks about athletes. Oh, the NFL has huge athletes. Dude, I want someone to try and tackle Isaiah Stewart. He's running through six, eight, six, nine guys like it's nothing. He's a goddamn athlete, and he he was pissed off. He was going for LeBron's head, and I don't know a lot about Isaiah Stewart. I I know I do follow the Pistons, but. This man is, is a menace. He he was ready to take a life. He's a 20-year-old. He uh, was born in La Lumiere. Uh, La Lumiere. Where do you go to school? Uh, one second. Let, let me see. He's 16th overall pick. He's played really, really, really good. Yeah, he was born in... He was a New York guy. So, like, I'm sure that he had some goddamn scraps on the, you know... The, the schoolyard. He went to Washington, played one year, uh, grew up in uh, Jesuit, uh, Bright, Brighton, New York. I don't know that area. And then transferred to La Lumiere. It looks like his senior season to uh, help him uh, college-wise. But this man was a menace. And, and when I say a menace, I mean this man was ready to take off a goddamn head, man. Like, you have to watch the clip. He was literally sprinting around, running, ready to take off LeBron. And LeBron, it was a cheap shot. They were going for a rebound on a free throw. And LeBron looks back and then just punches him in the face. And, like, you can say, well, it wasn't a close fist punch. It's like, dude, LeBron James is 6'9". Like, his hands are goddamn cinder blocks. Like, you got to remember, Isaiah Stewart was bleeding down his face. Pistons end up losing this one as LeBron James gets ejected. Isaiah Stewart gets ejected. He has to be held back. Andy Davis ends up with 30 points. Russell Westbrook ends up with 26. LeBron James only plays 21 minutes um, and scores 10 points. Um, on the other end, Jeremy Grant had a really good game, 36 points. Cade Cunningham had one of his off-shooting nights. It's so weird. Um, like The Pistons are 4-12, and and every night that Jeremy Grant has a really effective shooting night, Cade Cunningham ends up not having a good shooting night, and they never can kind of figure it out on the same basis that they're both putting up really good nights together. Uh, Corey Joseph gets the nod at the starting point. Guard as Killian Hayes has been dealing with some injuries on his finger. Sadiq Bey uh, had himself a decent game, 14 points. Um, he's really more of a defender. Uh, but this team, you know, they just suck at shooting. They suck at scoring, and they put up 116, and that was the one night that they didn't play really efficient you know, defense, and they let a team that isn't very good at scoring either, um, you know, score a bunch of points on them. But I would look back at that. Um, there's been some really, really fun in, 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 you know, unique performances that we've seen so far this year, um, you know, day in and day out. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon and Donis, the Mana Sabonis are really carrying this Indiana Pacers squad. I think that Pacers squad is going to get better as the year kind of goes on. You're going to see them peak at the right time. Um, Washington and Miami played each other. Washington ends up winning this game. Tyler Hero, guys, everyone wants to talk about he had a down year. He's now averaging 21 points, 5.5 assists, or 5.5 rebounds, 3.9 assists. He has a pretty efficient rating. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes Duncan Robinson's minutes uh, coming up here. Duncan Robinson is only averaging 10 points a game, and he's currently shooting uh, 33% from three-point, where he was 44% and 40% the years before. Um, He has to keep hucking up much, much more difficult shots because he can't get his shot off. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point you see him go out there and play more consistently. But this Washington squad, man, like the biggest thing that they can do now is they can defend. So Bradley Beal only had 21 points, shot one of seven for three-point, and the team only shot 36, oh, 36% still pretty good. But he only had 21 points. In previous years, 
uh, you know, they're playing a team like Miami. They're letting up 125 points, and Bradley Beal needed to score 35. Um, this team defends. Kyle Kuzma had six points, but he, he defends. And he played 30 probably really good minutes. Um, he had 11 rebounds, four offensive. He had a block as well in there, and that's what this key team is going to do. Um, they're still trying to find out the rotations on the back end. Isaiah Todd is one of those dudes who's supposed to be much more productive. He played in the G League. He still hasn't gotten a lot. Cassius Winston isn't getting any time. So I, it'd be interesting to see kind of how this team pans out. Um, but these were Saturday's games. Um, the Bucks and the Mo, uh, the Bucks and the Magic played. Um, and so there's some bad blood between Mo Wagner and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis threw up 32 and 20 in one of his earlier games back. He shot eight of 16 from the field. And, you know, Orlando's one of those teams that can scrap and fight, and they're going to win some weird games. They're going to win some goofy games where you're like, how did they win that? And they're going to get blown out. But uh, they're competing, it looks like, every damn night. They almost beat the Nets. Um, that's an example of kind of how goofy that team is. But I, I'd say that fight, LeBron James deserves to be, you know, I wouldn't say banished, but he deserves to, you know, spend some time away from the game of basketball because it, it was it was pretty ridiculous. And then he immediately ran from the scrap. Like he's like, "Oh, I'm not fighting. I didn't start anything. Uh, this isn't like personal." And it, it it seemed to be a little bit more of an aggressive punch than maybe he intended, and so he kind of felt bad. But absolutely ridiculous. If you watch it back, I would suggest you to. He 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 took a punch at another dude. Um, that's gonna be the first part of my NBA coverage and then like I told you guys we're doing shooting guards this week we're gonna have wide receivers and then we're gonna be doing small forwards um Wednesday and Friday so um some things here is there's a lot more Big Ten people <laughs> compared to last time with only one but the ACC really takes reign here with 15 players being in the first or second role, Duke really dominates this. But we got Joe Harris out of Virginia, Terry Rozier out of Louisville, Austin Rivers out of Duke, Frank Jackson out of Duke, Damian Lee, Louisville, Luke Kennard, Duke, Reggie Jackson, Boston College, Rodney Hood, Duke, Malik Beasley, Florida State, Nikhil Alexander, Virginia, or Virginia Tech, Ty Jerome, Virginia, Seth Curry, Duke, Lonnie Walker, Miami, Gary Trent, Duke, Donovan Mitchell, Louisville. So it's really Duke and Louisville-led. And it's actually surprising with how effective UNC's been. And they only have Cole Anthony as one of the starters that are UNC-bound. I know they have a lot of forwards and centers and stuff in the league, which is what I'm going to kind of hint on. But it's really interesting that, like, Duke and, uh, you know, Virginia's been really good at basketball the last few years. And, and they have some guys in here. But you really see Duke leading the guard play, NC State having a bunch of good guards, and and. 15 guards from the ACC shooting guards, you know, much more scores than true point guards. And that's kind of how that league is kind of turned into. But there's a lot of good things here. Um, Louisville has a plethora, especially the last few years. Terry Rozier, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, a lot, a lot of guys come out of that Louisville program. And a lot of guys come out of Duke um, for this ACC. Now we got the Big Ten. They have eight, oh, wait, uh, 15 guys, but seven of them are starters. So Joe Harris, Terry Rozier, Reggie Jackson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Seth Curry, Gary Trent, Donovan Mitchell are all starters for their teams. ACC uh, has 15, which is the most out of any um, conference. Not the most starter, those. The Big Ten has eight. Uh, Kevin Herter, A.O. The Swumo, uh, Tim Hardaway, Jordan Poole, Duncan Robinson, D'Angelo Russell, Gary Harris, Delano Barton. Michigan really carries the ball here. Um, they have 
Three starters in Tim Hardaway, Jordan Poole, and Duncan Robinson. D'Angelo Russell, the only other starter, went to OSU. The Big Ten has eight guys here. I think in the forwards and centers category, may see some more guys, but just surprising with how good Big Ten basketball is. Again, they have eight. It's more than um, the Pac-12 in the Big 12, but not even close to ACC, who has eight, especially three more starters. And um, they have more than the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 has seven starters, um, which we're going to go into. Big 12, uh, they had a lot of uh, guys, Big 12-wise, that were point guards. They had eight. They now have four guys that are shooting guards. Three of them start Cade Cunningham this last year, Avery Bradley, Therese Halliburton, Buddy Heald. So a lot uh, in the last few years kind of coming out of those programs. So you're seeing kind of a renovation of guys coming out that are one or two guys starters and I know that you may look oh how many big 10 guys are in the NBA and on rosters I'm not doing NBA roster guys remember I'm doing guys that play you know important to good minutes for the team so if they're averaging six or seven points a game I'm putting on there if they're averaging two points a game in like five minutes no but if they're averaging you know 13 14 minutes they're running the offense I'm putting these guys kind of in this list and uh that that's important for me because a guy like Luca Garza Maybe in the rotation, right, for the Detroit Pistons, but he's not a Big Ten guy necessarily, if that makes sense. Um, the SEC has nine here, um, only three starters though Josh Richardson, Tennessee, Colin Sexton, Alabama, Isaac Okoro, Auburn, Malik Monk, Kentucky, Tyler Hero, Kentucky, Garrett Temple, LSU, Devin Booker, Kentucky, Jordan Clarkson, Missouri, and Bradley Beal, Florida. So the starters are Colin Sexton. He starts for obviously the Cavaliers, Devin Booker on the Suns and Bradley Beal. Um, Bradley Beal and Devin Booker are some of the two top guards in the NBA right now. Um, definitely scoring-wise, both coming out of the SEC. Um, Tyler Hero is eventually going to work his way into that starting lineup, probably for Duncan Robinson, um, but he's effective. Kentucky still dominating, having a bunch of guys that get important minutes, um, but you've seen a lot you know, compared to where the guards were at. Um, you still see each other team in the SEC maybe throwing one out there, like Tennessee gets one, Florida gets one, Missouri puts up a, a, a guy here, um, Auburn putting up another guy, but it truly is a dominated league by Kentucky. Um, now we go to the Pac-12. Pac-12 has seven players, all seven are starters, Jalen Brown, UCAL, Zach Levine, UCLA, Chris Durate went to Oregon, DeAnthony Melton went to USC, J. Ru Holiday, UCLA, Lou Genz Dortz, Lou Dort, ASU, Derek Wright, Colorado. Um, what we've seen here is UCLA should be winning a lot more games based on how many people they're putting in the NBA. Um, the fact that they haven't won another national championship recently is kind of confusing. Um, they were good last year. Obviously, they made it to the championship game, 11 seed. Um, and put anyone on the, you know, it's just weird um, how much talent is in the Pac-12. You don't necessarily think about it. But uh, through two, um, they have 13 starters um, in the NBA right now on NBA rosters between the guard positions, which is incredible. Um, the next closest is, that's nine for the ACC. That's seven for the Big 12. That's eight. Um, that's five. Yeah, so, I mean, they lead. The next closest is nine. So they have 13 guards in the NBA that are starting, and the next closest is the ACC with nine, which seven of those guys are shooting guards. Um, so they really dominate on both here. They're six and seven. Um, Kentucky has four guys. You know, it, it's just crazy. Um, Kentucky really dominates the SEC in terms of production. I, we know that, but it's just 
it's it's going to get worse as we go to forwards and we go to all these other guys uh, as we see kind of how they roll out. Big 12 kind of let down, have half, but three of the guys are starters. And um, Tyreek Halliburton um, and Cade Cunningham both came out the last few drafts. Avery Bradley's the Texas guy who came out, and he's a bit older. Now we go to the non-Power 5s. They have uh, nine guys in the NBA, and this is really um, shooting guards. They do not have a lot of starters, though. So Patty Mills, West Coast St. Mary's, but he's actually from Australia. So he went from Australia to St. Mary's College, uh, who play in the West Coast Conference. Cody Martin in the Mountain West out of Nevada. Will Barton went to Memphis out of AAC. Another Memphis guy, Garrison Matthews. The A-Sun Lipscomb. This is the same conference as Florida Gulf Coast. It's kind of in that um, southwest or southeast corridor, like just by the Sun Belt. Um, Garrison Matthews. Or sorry, that's who I said. Jeremy Lamb, Big East, UConn. John Kochar, the Horizon. He plays for Purdue, Fort Wayne, guys. And shout out Shane Ozark. Um, you're my buddy, homie. Uh, the goddamn Mastodons is their mascot. Uh, fun little fact, Purdue, Fort Wayne, in the Horizon League, like with uh, any of you guys from Michigan, like, like Oakland College, IUPUI. I mentioned that yesterday with George Hill. But he plays for the – dude, I think of like cool and creative uh, mascots. The Mastodons is definitely up there. Derek Rose is listed as a backup, but we know he plays starter minutes. AAC out of Memphis, Landry Schmidt, AAC out of Wichita State. CJ McCollum, Patriot League, Lehigh, baby. And then Jalen Suggs, um, the West Coast. Post conference Gonzaga. Um, Gonzaga's first NBA player they put in. I know Corey Kispert is on Washington, but I think he plays small forward position for them. Um, the last few years, they've actually been putting guys, they've been really good teams. Um, that's mostly, I think, been the, the production and skill level, but now they're starting to produ- get good recruiting classes out there, starting to, you know, hammer down and, and, and be more productive in churning guys into NBA players and not just four-year starters at Gonzaga, and they know the offense better than everyone. So we'll see how, um, I think, uh, who's who's the head coach out there? Uh, I can't remember. Mark Few? No, that's not right. But uh, that's kind of how it is. Um, and then we go to the next one, um, D2. Otherwise, Lou Williams, he came straight out of high school. Um, he didn't go in international anywhere. Um, Jalen Green, he joined the G League. Uh, Jalen Green, personally, this is me being a biased uh, Detroit Pistons fan, is a little bitch. I don't like him. Uh, he seems to be about himself. Uh, but he went to the G League. He's playing for Houston now. He's putting up decent minutes. He's not quite efficient as what you'd want him to be, but it'll come with time. Um, him getting stronger and finishing better in the lane and him, you know, shot selection, stuff like that. But Anthony Simmons also skipped. Uh, going to college. His was, I think he got injured like at the end of his senior year and just said like, hey, I'm not going to like want to join a full program when I intend to leave. So I'm just going to work out. He's back up for the Blazers out there. And then there's, we have three international players, um, only two start here. So a lot less point guards or a lot less shooting guards than point guards where we had 10 international or non-collegiate point guards. Now we have international three, um, Bogdan Bogdanovic, Serbia, Frank Nidakila, Belgium, France, and Evan Fournier, France. French continuing to put a lot of people in the league, um, uh, competing Theo, Theo Melodon, Killian Hayes, um, you know, and then on this one, you also have Frank Nidakina and Evan Fournier. So that kind of wraps up me talking about the NBA. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, like I said, if you guys want me to keep doing this, give out some suggestions or throw out some like tidbits of fun facts that you guys like doing. Like if you guys come out to me and say, hey, I'd really like you to cover, um, you know, a specific school and say, hey, what school has produced NBA players or what school has produced 
NFL players. And then I like go down and talk about, hey, are these guys actually important? You know, because, uh, you know, and where do you guys get drafted? This is kind of like my weird sports facts. Maybe I'll even create, you know, a cut eventually where I go like, KB's, K, or K Corner Sports Facts, something dumb like that. Um, I, maybe I won't get that cringe, but hey, don't put it past me. I definitely intend to uh, continue to cover stats and weird, goofy things for like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, I, that, that portion was 10 minutes. It takes me about an hour to do it. So it is a lot of work gathering all that information. But I like it because I, I'm putting these databases out and eventually I'll post these um, out there. You know, by the time that maybe I get done with this, the AAC, you know, Memphis is going to be joining this and stuff like that. But um, it's, always one, it's always really, really fun to kind of go over Weird NBA stuff, and the more you know, reading rainbow is what they say, right? Formula One, this is where I'm going to be going here today, guys. So I actually got the inside scoop from my guy, Pat. Um, shout out, Pat. I, I really appreciate that. We talked about the race. I only really got to watch the ending because I was like, oh, it starts at 7. I'll be able to you know, wake up at 7.45 and 8, and by that time, the race was just about over, um, but it was a really good race. Uh, Lewis Hamilton wins again, which makes this point spread really, really, really close. Um, it, it's it's co coming down to the last two races. The next one's, uh, there's one, I believe we have a week off this weekend, then it's the next two weekends before Christmas kind of hit, and they're going to be in Abu Dhabi or whatever. I'll, I'll cover more on it Friday. I'm more going over results. Lewis Hamilton won the race. Uh, Verstappen was actually uh, uh, admitted a five-lap um, or five grid penalty. One of the things I really, 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 really like about um, Formula One is they have like a crew that kind of takes control and makes sure that, you know, hey, was this accident caused by a guy being a dickhead? And if it is, then we need to enforce a penalty on him to make sure he doesn't do it. Like NASCAR, you see people take people out all the time and it's like, well, he said I went down, but he really just drove straight into him. And this gets managed more. Now, I know we love the drama, you know, of seeing, you know, NASCAR guys jump out of the cars, helmets on, take the helmets off and stop throwing, start throwing punches. Like that's more American. But I really like the way that uh, Formula One handles this is they have a crew that reviews stuff. They have a crew that takes care of it. And it's like, hey, are, are, was that a good pass? Was that a legal pass? And they assign, assign penalties. And, and all of it's very, very clear. Verstappen ends up finishing second. And um, right now, the point lead is Max Verstappen has 351 and a half. Lewis Hamilton has 343 and a half. So it is incredibly close. Um, two more weeks. And there's actually some drama. So next year, um, Lewis Hamilton's teammates, uh, Botas, is going to be replaced by George Russell, who's an up-and-coming, also a British driver, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. George Russell is really favored right now. He's in a shitty car. And so one of the things you got to kind of understand is cars aren't all built the same, right? Like some cars are built way different. And Mercedes has the best car right next to Honda, and they build the best cars. They're basically you can race in Formula One. And a guy like George Russell is incredibly skilled, but he drives a car that like literally just can't compete. You can't go as fast. You can't turn as sharp. You can't accelerate as quickly. You don't have the top end speed. Like, uh, you know, George Russell went up for a race and raced in the car when Lewis Hamilton messed up and he won it. So it really just, or he would have won it last year. Um, qualified for, or for qualified 
P1 and they messed it up because they put the wrong tires on Mercedes. So um, Botas is going to Alfa Romeo. So Lewis Hamilton's teammate is no longer going to be with him at the end of the season. And does that kind of affect how things work out? If, if, if Botas kind of feels jibbed by Mercedes and he's like, hey, I don't want this championship to go to Mercedes. Mercedes has won like seven of the last eight engines. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're built different uh, in that grand scheme of thing. But don't it all be kind of surprised if when it comes when it comes down to it, if Botas, not, I'm not saying he's going to do this, and this is just me instigating drama a little bit. I don't have a lot of drama on my channel, but uh, this is just me talking to my buddy here. And it's kind of like, does Botas push, you know, to get an extra point or, or you know, to block as effectively if Verstappen's behind him? Uh, you know, it's Botas and Hamilton one and two. And uh, Verstappen's three, does Botas fight as hard as he can? Or do you say, Hamilton, if this, you're this much better driver than me, win it yourself. Um, and, you know, especially with George Russell coming over and stuff like that, Botas may feel like he got absolutely jibbed by the racing community. But it's going to be uh, an outstanding last few weeks to the final. Lewis Hamilton has came on in an absolute storm. Um, he, he has been racing the last few weeks with his head cut off. Like I said, when he won... The Brazilian Grand Prix, he started from so many laps down um, and it still came back and won. So we have the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Um, it's at 10.30 on December the 5th, 10.30 a.m., so a little bit later start. And then um, they go to Abu Dhabi, which is a 6 a.m. start. That kind of sucks that Abu Dhabi is a 6 a.m. December 12th, but I'll, I'll try to make time for it. It looks like back-to-back uh, -back Sunday races. Um, 10.30 is a great start time because I think NFL games start at 11 for me, so I'll be able to have both on at the same time. Um, and so you get 25 points for um, winning the race. So six points is the spread, and he's currently down eight. So he'd have to beat him. If Verstappen finishes second twice and Hamilton wins twice, um, it'd basically be over. Um, and I also believe that you get points for fastest lap. Um, let me see if someone got, if they like note fastest lap points. Um, bop, 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 bop. Fastest lap points. Um, I actually dislike fastest lap points. Um, for one reason, and it, it, it's super frustrating watching it. Because, uh, whoever's the fastest lap, you know, had the fastest car on the day. But what ends up happening, um, so Qatar, it was Verstappen. So 123, uh, 196. But what ends up happening is I watched the Brazilian Grand Prix and um, Lewis Hamilton had the fastest lap. He, he, was, he was cruising. He, he was doing it all at the end. And then Sergio Perez comes in and because they know that there's there's a big enough gap that Sergio Perez won't lose positioning, he puts on brand new tires, runs them to the ground, gets the fastest lap at the end, you know, by like a second or two. And it happens like every week like that, right? So I think it should be fastest lap with five laps left. And I, and I know that's controversial. And maybe you guys or F1 fans are like, no, shut up. The race is the race the entire time as someone puts, you know, a fastest lap at the end race. And it's like, yeah, but they're not going to, right? It's it's kind of physically impossible for a team to have the fastest lap when their tires are really low, uh, unless someone's just screaming. Uh, you know, I don't really think that that happens a whole lot. It's basically like, hey, can my teammate steal some points? And if they can, let's do it so that the other guy doesn't get any points because I know it's points. And so 
It could be even a closer race between Hamilton and Verstappen, which is what you want. You want the drama, and it kind of takes the air out of the fastest lap. Now, I know you may, you may be like, yeah, you're just a goddamn idiot, KB. You don't know anything about F1, but I think it makes the fastest lap more gimmicky where it's like the dude throws on tires. He's obviously going to run it because if, if anyone else is trying to get the fastest lap, they can't run that hard earlier in the race simply because they need to preserve the tires because the tires, you can't just run them down on one lap and then expect them to get 15 to 20 laps out of them. And so I think it's just very gimmicky when that happens because it should be, the fastest lap should be an indicator of who has the fastest car on the track in racing conditions. And that's not racing conditions, right? And I just think it's dumb. Uh, I want to hear your feedback. I, I, I'm going to put out a poll out there and be like, hey, do you think the last lap... Um, fastest lap is kind of gimmicky and dumb. I'll put a poll out there. I'm also going to put a poll out there on, um, oh, what was I going to put? Um, bu- 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 oh, who do you think wins the game tonight? I'll probably be live tweeting the game. Um, so if any of you guys want to follow, want to make comments on it, I appreciate that. Um, this is going to be ba- me basically wrapping up my uh, coverage here. I really appreciate everything that uh, you guys do. You guys listening, supporting my channel, uh, retweet, uh, do all that stuff that you know is is important that 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 makes it more fun and you know let's get it. The corners have been painted. You guys have a wonderful day. I know this one is a little bit shorter. My NCA coverage didn't really go crazy because there wasn't a huge amount to talk about. I'm going to be talking about rankings on Wednesday. We'll be talking about the NFL Monday night game. We'll be talking about the Thursday night game prediction. NBA and oh I didn't cover the NHL NHL I'm hammering I'm gonna talk to some people I'm gonna get some ideas on what teams are trending which way um, you know I, I just I just really want to do you guys justice and I just like I didn't even write it down today mostly because like it's kind of like the NBA where like if the NBA didn't have any punches I probably would have covered it for maybe 10 minutes today but because there's so much kind of going on and because Formula One had a race like next weekend I probably won't talk about Formula One that much, and you know, maybe I'll talk about some other racing thing, but that really isn't my goal. I thank you guys so damn much for listening and paying attention. I hope you guys liked my Le'Veon Bell comment. It's just crazy how much he's fallen. It's it's crazy everything that we've been doing. I I appreciate the support. I'm going to continue to upload. I know I didn't upload Dune. I'm going to try to get that done this week and maybe a Saturday upload for it or a Sunday upload. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. I do want to do the Dune review. Maybe I'll just throw it in tomorrow when I'm up to no good. But thank you guys. The corners have been painted and I am out.